Dreams can often stimulate our decision-making, but they don't make the right decision for us. What is the key to wise living? King Solomon has something to teach us. Good morning, Crosslifers and Facebook Live friends and YouTube channel viewers. Good to have you here and with us today. We're finishing up our Dreamer series with part eight, and that's the dream of Solomon when Solomon asked for wisdom. We're going to start in Boston. The Boston Marathon involves some of the world's most elite runners. And on April 21st, 1980, a lady named Rosie Ruiz was the first woman to cross the finish line in the Boston Marathon. Crowds cheered. I mean, this is a, like a near record that she finished. So crowds were cheering. The laurel wreath was placed on her head. Everybody, it was just, it was great. Everybody loved it. As a matter of fact, this was her first win ever in running a marathon, which makes it even more incredible. And more incredible was that she really wasn't sweating like the other contestants were sweating. And her face wasn't flushed like the other contestants' faces were flushed. And questions were being asked. Neither spectators nor contestants in the race recall seeing Rosie the first 25 miles of the race. Truth came out. Rosie Ruiz jumped into the race during the last mile and cheated and then crossed the finish line. <laughs> Her victory was stripped. But more interesting at this point was the widespread interest of everybody in Rosie Ruiz. Who is this lady and how in the world did she get here and how did she think that she could ever get away with this without being exposed as a fraud? Turns out she qualified for the Boston Marathon by competing well enough in the New York Marathon. And she had a good time in the New York Marathon because she took the subway! Seriously, she did. She wasn't, uh, she didn't face any criminal consequences as a result of the fake Boston Marathon win, or the New York Marathon for that matter. But in 1982, Rosie Ruiz was charged with stealing $60,000 from the realty company for which she worked. And in 1983, she was arrested for selling drugs. King Solomon was the third king in the ancient Israelite kingdom. That is an elite, prestigious position. About 20 years old at this point when he was beginning his reign, scholars argue, I think he's more on the 20-year-old side than the 14-year-old side. About 20 years old, and uh, in this moment of wisdom that God gives to him as he prays to wisdom, it's like he finishes the race, like he crosses the finish line, just like Rosie Ruiz that no one else has ever crossed. I mean, Solomon sets a record. Here's what the Bible later writes in Solomon's profile. It says, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. However, just like Rosie Ruiz, 
who cheated before the race and broke the law after the race. Solomon cheated before the moment of gaining wisdom and riches from God, and he broke the law after he received wisdom and riches from God. And so here's the lesson we learn today from Rosie Ruiz and King Solomon. It's not just having wisdom from God, it's how you use wisdom from God. We're going to see that Solomon didn't always use it well. So let's go to the account now where God actually gives wisdom to Solomon in that famous prayer of his in 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, and then we'll unpack some more how Solomon used that wisdom and what it means for us today in our wisdom from God. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. He's talking about himself now. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant, Solomon, king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child. I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Ah, oh, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life, or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. You know, the faith and humility and vision of Solomon at 
at this young adult age to ask for what he asked for, to ask for wisdom, and not for riches, and not for, for the death of his enemies, but to ask for wisdom right here, that, that's impressive, that's admirable. As a matter of fact, God himself was so impressed that he complimented Solomon and actually gave him bonus gifts that Solomon didn't even ask for, and God gave them to him, kind of like winning the victory at the Boston Marathon, kind of like Rosie Ruiz, actually, because when questions were asked, her victory was surrounded by scrupulous, sinful activity. So this is a pinnacle moment here in 1 Kings 3 of Solomon, but before this time, did you catch the first couple verses? As I started reading, verse 1 in 1 Kings 3 that sets up the story begins by telling us Solomon had created an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That goes directly against God's command for any king of Israel to not do that. Because God wants the kings to trust in God's leadership and not to make alliances with worldly kings. Secondly, Solomon not only made an alliance with the Pharaoh king of Egypt, he married his daughter and he brought her there to the promised land. And she lived in his presence, all for political alliances, maybe some sinful pleasure. Solomon married the daughter of Pharaoh in direct opposition to what God had said. And finally, Solomon's weakness for foreign women got the best of him later in his career. This was just the beginning. Solomon then married many, many foreign women against God's decree, brought them, some of them to be his wives, some of them to be his concubines, his harem, and went directly against, he broke God's law. Solomon is a rosy Ruiz. Here's a Here's what the Bible says about that in 1 Kings chapter 11. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. Scholars actually argue whether Solomon actually ever recovered from that. Scholars and professors that I admire authors that I read, books that I have on my shelf, insist that Solomon did not recover and that Solomon died in hell-destined unbelief, and you and I will not see him in heaven. Others argue that there's a verse here or there, Solomon's later career, and especially his authorship of the book of Ecclesiastes, some of which we read previously today, and they say that Solomon did recover, that he was a repentant man, that he learned his lessons throughout a long life, and that with rugged faith, he submitted himself before God, and he begged for mercy that he didn't deserve. I think the very fact that we have to ask that question and that we don't know for sure is enough to get our attention. And to say this, let's be very careful. Let's take great caution, not about wisdom, but whether or not you and I are using God's wisdom that he gives to us well. 
All right, kids, I have a question for you, preschoolers, elementary schools, middle schoolers. Be ready to raise your hand. Here's the question. Do you, at your house, have in your possession, in your ownership, or use of any smartphone, iPad, tablet, computer, gaming system, or going online? If so, raise your hand. Okay, good. Yeah, it's like all of you. Okay. Second question. Keep your hands up now. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up if mom or dad give you limits that allow you only to use it for a certain time in a certain way. How many of you have parents who give you limits and don't let you use it all the time? All, the, all right, all of you still. All right, put your hands down. What if I were to ask the adults if they give themselves limits for smartphones, tablets, gaming, online activity, and social media. Someone just called out his parents. <laughs> so here we are. We are wise enough to design smartphones, tablets, screens, gaming, and social media but as adults, we're, we're, yet we're not wise enough to limit ourselves, but we think we have to limit our kids. All right, here's another one. Kids, same thing. Another question. Preschoolers, elementary schools, middle schoolers. How many of you have a nice warm bed to sleep in, have a closet? You can keep shoes and clothes in that closet. You have a, you have a great house where you can invite friends over to play. Maybe you've had a sleepover at your house, or your mom and dad invite other people over to your house. Raise your hand. Yes, all of them again. All right. Yep, good. I see it back there. Yes. All right. Bill your hands down. Thank you. So, we are wise enough to design beautiful homes for ourselves filled with decor that are welcoming to friends and strangers, to people, and, and they come in and we give them a good time, and yet every church in our country is declining in attendance, and we can't get people in the community to come to our churches and feel welcome and stay. So we're wise enough to do that in our homes or we're not wise enough to do it in church. All right, here's one more, one more question. Kids, preschoolers, elementary schools, middle schoolers, last one. I know I'm wearing you out, but this is the last one. How many of you, when you do something wrong, your parents say, don't do that, and they want you to do it the right way? Raise your hand. Okay, good. So, so we're wise enough to tell our, chi our children to not do things the wrong way and to do them the right way, yet we're not wise enough as adults to always choose the right way ourselves when it comes to our bad habits and our hang-ups and our addictions. So what's the problem? Why are we wise enough to do all those and yet not wise enough to do what we tell even children need to be done? What's the problem? I'd, I'd say it's not a lack of wisdom. We have, a, we have answers to all of those problems I just suggested. The answers are there. It's not a lack of wisdom. We have the wisdom, so what's the problem? Here's the problem. Like Rosie Ruiz and King Solomon, we want to have a win at the finish line without running the race. That's a problem. We all laughed at Rosie Ruiz. I laughed when I read the story, too. I couldn't believe it. 
but she's us. We want to win at the finish line, and we, we don't want to run the race. That's what Solomon discovered. That's what Rosie Ruiz discovered. So here's what the Bible says. The fear of, this is in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. See, lack of wisdom isn't the problem. Despising it is. Telling God, he, God, thanks for, thanks for the goods. Thanks for the goodies. Thanks for the, but, but, <laughs> no, no, not, no, not for me. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon ended up writing this later in his life. The fool walks in darkness. So, the Bible calls the person a fool who despises God's wisdom. And darkness is really a bad place. And he uses that word, darkness. There is no light of hope. There is no sunrise for a new day or a second chance. There is no ray of God's mercy or God's love shining through. That's what darkness is. And we want to choose that way? We want to despise God's wisdom and say, give me darkness instead. And, we, and the devil convinces us to do this. Uh, I watched the movie Bird Box on Friday night. Uh, if, if, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. It's, it's that movie with Sandra Bullock where there's something really bad going on, like, like, you know, apocalyptic, end of the world thing. And if you see it, like, really bad things happen to you. But, like, like, really bad. So you don't want to see this, or bad things happen to you. So, everyone in this movie is, is blindfolded. So maybe if you see the trailer, you'll see Sandra Bullock with a blindfold on, and there's two little children with her, and they have blindfolds on, and she's instructing them with this blindfold on, whatever you do, do not take off your blindfold. And then in the trailer, it shows she's taking a trip down this river, and she's going somewhere with these kids, and they're on a river in a boat, blindfolded. And it's amazing what people in the movie have to try to do to survive as they're blindfolded, like live and drive and shop and not get killed. One of the takeaways from the movie, I'm going to try not to spoil this, but I don't know if I'd recommend the movie anyway because there's some worldly stuff in there, um, is that these people realize they're staying alive by keeping their blindfolds on, but it's not really life. They're in the darkness. So as I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking there has, I, I think it's coming, and I'm not going to tell you if it did or not, but there's got to be a way. I think this is good. I think it's going to happen. In the plot of the movie, it's going to happen where they, it happens where somehow these people, normal people, figure out how to take the blindfold off, and they see the bad thing, but it doesn't get them because they're looking with a different perspective. That's how I would rate the movie, and maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. I'm not going to spoil it, but... That's where we are. 
by despising God's wisdom, we are in the darkness, and we, de- we decide. We say, I'm going to put this blindfold on. And then we're living in darkness, and we can't see any of the, anything that God wants to give us. So that, look at that verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Fearing the Lord means that I have this blindfold on and I'm, I'm fearing the, the ugly monster of sin. I'm fearing Satan. I'm fearing the, the power of death. And they can get me and they're more powerful than me. And I fear them, but I also fear my God. And I fear, I fear these things taking me away from my God. I fear them taking me away from Jesus. And I fear myself. I fear my own sins. But that's just the start. Because that light, that wisdom of God that has already come to me before I put the blindfold on, if I'm willing to believe it, I'm willing to trust it, I can take the blindfold off. I can, I can fear losing my own God for an eternity. I can fear not using his wisdom, and I fear it that much that I want to do something without the blindfold, and I trust in him, and I take the blindfold off, and the monster doesn't get me. Because I have the light of the Lord with me. I have the wisdom of God in me, and the, Satan, and my own sin, and my shame, and my past, and my fear of the future, and the, and the power of death. Do not get me! even when I take my blindfold off because I see the light of Christ and the wisdom of God. Now, would you in that circumstance have the power and the courage knowing that the blindfold keeps you alive to take it off? I wouldn't. It's just not something we can do. But here's the good news. God in his mercy does it for us. God in his mercy takes the blindfold off. God in his mercy pulls us out of the darkness and he doesn't want us there and he doesn't let us stay there. How? This this is good. Um, During his ministry on earth, listen to something that Jesus said. Listen carefully. He, He reminded the people, this is Jesus talking now, and he's reminding the people of a particular ruler in Solomon's day. And here's what Jesus says. This ruler came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. What? God said there would be no earthly king richer and wiser than King Solomon ever. And now Jesus says there's something greater than Solomon here? What in the world is he talking about? Ah, when Solomon prayed to God for wisdom, he was praying to Jesus, the Son of God. And Solomon could give all the advice in ancient times to all the rulers who would come to him for advice. Remember that, and, and the two ladies who were arguing about the baby, and one of them was lying, and one wasn't, and he had to figure that out with his wisdom. And, and Solomon had all this advice, but none of it as good as or the same as 
Jesus who does not give us advice more than he simply declares things to be. God has mercy on you, a sinner, Jesus declares to be. And when he declares something to be, it is. Jesus declares life out of death, and Lazarus walks out of his grave. Jesus declares storms to be still, and the wind and the waves die down. That's wisdom from God. That is greater than Solomon. Jesus, when he's 12 years old, can run circles around the temple rabbis. And as he's preaching and teaching later in his ministry, reading the Gospels, all the time where he's teaching the people, and it says at the end of the story, and the people were amazed at his teaching. Why did he run circles around the rabbis when he was 12 years old? And why are the people amazed at his teaching? Because this is, this is not a religious philosopher offering advice on taking steps to get right with God. This is God saying that he removes the blindfold and everything is okay. This is God declaring to sinners, I love you. You're my child. Stay away from the darkness. Here, have my light. All the other preachers and rabbis and ancient kings and even Solomon himself as a writer of Holy Scripture can talk about forgiveness, but only Jesus can make it happen by his own blood offered on the cross that secured the payment for your sins forever. You talk about Something greater than Solomon, someone greater than Solomon, here it is. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you want the wisdom of God? Do you, do you want to know the way? Do you want to help for your confusion? It's all in Jesus. Jesus ran, finished, and was victorious in a marathon. And now he takes you by the hand and he says, do you want to run a 5K with me? <laughs> do it. Don't just show up at the finish line or a little bit before it and say that, say that you won. You don't need to win. Jesus already won, but now he wants you to run the race. He wants you to come along with him for that run. And maybe it's a 5K, maybe it's a 1K, maybe it's a 10K, maybe it's a marathon, maybe it's longer and more grueling than you would ever want or desire. And Jesus reaches out and he says, I am the wisdom of God greater than Solomon and I'm asking you to come with me on this race. Here, I'll take the blindfold off. Don't be afraid. Love him. Learn from him. Have faith in him. Follow him wherever he tells you to go. And that, my friends, is the greatest wisdom you will ever have. Amen.
Let's pray. God, the wisdom of this world, it just gets us. It's so prevalent. It's all around us. We, we see it and hear it in other people, and it doesn't even register with us that it's wrong that it's immoral, that it's different, that it's not you, that it's dark. We just swim in, this, in the waters of worldly wisdom that seem to make sense, but they, they offer only darkness. I pray today, Savior, for me and for these people and for anyone listening to this prayer, that you would guide us by your love and by your truth to better identify this worldly wisdom that, that doesn't take us to where we need to go, to better understand how we can live with a blindfold on and to take it off with trust in your promises, to see the light, the light that's already there in Jesus, your Son. As you give wisdom to our hearts today, God, just as you promised and just as you gave to Solomon, help us to be people who appreciate that wisdom and who use it well. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We are so wise in our modern age, and we're getting even wiser. But anyone would admit that we haven't come close to figuring out all the problems of our world. And in our quest for solutions, it almost seems like we create even more. But God isn't confused. He holds the ultimate wisdom that does more than instruct us. His wisdom saves us. Listen to God as often as you can. Follow our Dreamer series on YouTube and Facebook. And please support our video ministry with your gifts, which help us share Jesus with people around the globe.